The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him across the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Amen, amen, I say to you, you were looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set a seal. So they said to him, What can we do to accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he sent. So they said to him, What sign can you do, that we may see and believe in you? What can you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. The Gospel of the Lord. celebrate this 18th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Uh, Remindful as we begin the month of August, that August the 6th, this Friday, uh, is the Feast of the Transfiguration of Our Lord. Uh, we'll have the Novus Ordo English Mass at 6 a.m. and traditional Latin Mass will be at 4.30 p.m. Uh, usually it's at 5.30, so if you're interested, make sure to show up at 4.30. Otherwise, you'll simply get the final blessing and the dismissal at the end. The St. Agnes Knights of Columbus will be selling uh, football board squares after all Masses next weekend, August 7th and 8th. The proceeds will benefit the Paris Security Fund. The adoration has an urgent need. We have no committed adorers for the 10 and 11 a.m. hours on Mondays. So please prayerfully consider if you or you with a group of others um, could possibly adopt one of these weekly hours. As we continue in this second week of the six-week reflections upon the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel, we come and we hear an interesting request from the people. Remember, last week it was the feeding of the 5,000. So 5,000 people had followed our blessed Lord. They had nothing to eat. Uh, One small boy had five loaves and two fish, but as Andrew said, what good is that? And then the miracle takes place. Our Lord is able to feed, and they pick up 12 wicker baskets full of fragments just from what was left over, the crumbs, if you will, from the table that was opened before them. In the midst of that, our blessed Lord recognizes that people will very likely want to go and make him king, because if he can do such wonders and marvels, you want him to be at the top rung of the ladder. So our Lord recognizes this and immediately disappears with his disciples. And as it says, they go off into the boats. And the people wake up the next day, they realize that our Lord is gone, and they go to find him. When they find him, 
They interestingly invite him. They, you know, Rabbi, when did you get here? He doesn't answer. Uh, <laughs> right? Those frustrating things where our Lord, our Lord doesn't answer the questions directly. He says, you're looking for me because, not because you saw signs, but because your stomachs were filled. And in the midst of the, in the, in the course of this, of this back and forth between our Lord and the people who have gathered there before him, they make a, a very, very strange request. Do for us a marvel. Show us a miracle. Show us a sign. If I was our Lord, I would have said, do you remember yesterday? Do you remember how nobody had food and yet all of you were filled? Was that not enough? But our Lord was a much more charitable man than I am. He simply says to them that this miracle, the marvels that they had worked, the ones that he had worked, were to call them to himself a greater teaching, ultimately. The people cite the days of Moses when bread was given them from heaven. And our Lord reminds them that it was the Father who gave the bread, not Moses. It's the Father who gives the true bread. That was the, 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 the shadow. It was the thing that was foretelling the true bread that would be coming. It wasn't yet, but he was to give it. The Son of Man soon would give that bread. The people are intrigued by this. And we'll hear more about the response next week as our Lord goes deeper into it. But it's important for us to stop and reflect upon what our Lord tells the people. Namely, that they are, not, they are, they are busy working about uh, earthly food that fills their stomach. When in fact they should be working for that food which endures to eternal life. Their focus, their labors, are in the wrong place. In the book of Exodus, the people went. They were sent out from Egypt. The Lord called them out to himself. Remember, they had been some 400 years in slavery, the Israelites, laboring under Pharaoh and and, and, and those who were basically their, their slave owners, essentially. And the people labored and labored and labored. And finally the Lord God called and he said, I'm calling these people to myself. They are to go out and to worship me. The plagues ensue. And ultimately Pharaoh hardens his heart and then sends them away. Uh, this you know, throng of, of hundreds of thousands, ultimately millions of people. By the time they get into the desert, full into the 40 years. Millions of people, along with all of their animals and their things, go off into the desert. Ultimately, for a single purpose, to worship God and to be able to, to draw close to him ultimately in the promised land. But as we hear today in Exodus, they're not really excited about that. The Lord has called them to himself. He has freed them from their slavery. They said, oh man, slavery was kind of nice. I mean, we had, we had full stomachs. I mean, we couldn't worship God, but you know, at least we were full, right? At least we were happy. We're fat and happy back in the, back in the good old days of our slavery. And they begin to lament that they have been set free by God. They begin to lament the fact that the Lord is calling them close to himself. And in response, our Lord gives them food. He assures them that he will provide for them. Not in the way that they desire, but he will provide for them. He tells them, I will give you food in the evenings, flesh in the evenings, and bread in the mornings. It would be nice if it was served up on a nice platter, huh? 
Every morning you wake up and there's a loaf of bread nicely cut for you and your family. It would be a tremendous thing. And it would be a wonderful thing if our Lord had sent uh, a nice bucket of fried chicken to the, to, the, uh, to the front of the tent when you would wake up, uh, you know, come in in the evening time after a long day of laboring, wandering in the desert, right? If the Lord would just send down you know, buckets of chicken or these kinds of things to be able to, ah, oh, flesh to eat, excellent, this was, this was a good day, it was a good day. But he doesn't do these things. He tells them, as our Lord says, reminds us in the sixth chapter of St. John, that they are to work. They are to work. The people were working when they went to see our Lord the first time. They went through, they went without food, they crossed lakes, they crossed miles, they did all these things, seeking to fill their stomachs, and the same people, they're doing it again. And the Lord invites them to that work, to sanctify that work. What he gives them, rather than buckets of chicken, are the nice, juicy quail. Those tiny little birds <laughs> that are more feathers than meat. He gives them not big loaves of bread, but he gives them flakes of bread, like hoarfrost that you pick up off the ground. Imagine how many flakes of bread you have to pick up to make a meal. Imagine how long one would have to labor to, to get rid of all the quail that would descend on the camp. But also imagine the fact, how many bones were left around the camp? You have a, a million plus people to feed, and the, and the one thing on the menu is quail. It's got to be a mess at every single night. This is a, one of those unspoken miracles, the, the cleansing of the camp, I guess, by the Lord. But the people had to work for their food that was given to them by the Lord. And it was not an easy task. This is probably what filled their days, being as oftentimes they simply found themselves sitting in the desert for a good long while before the Lord would lead them to the next place. Their work was to learn how to eat the food from heaven. This miraculous food came to them for 40 years, every single day, with the exception of the Sabbath, Saturday. This miraculous food, particularly the manna, when it would be picked up, it was such that it was, it was sufficient for each family. Whatever you were able to pick up would be sufficient to fill you. If your, if your ability was less, the food would still nourish you. If, you put, if, you, if two people collected the same amount, it would, or collected different amounts uh, of this stuff, it would weigh the same. If you picked it up to be able to store it up for the next day, on any other day than Friday, if you picked up an extra load thinking, ah, it's Monday, so if I get a double portion of the manna today, if I pick up a double portion, I don't have to pick it up tomorrow. I don't have to work tomorrow. I get the day off. It would rot in the middle of the night, except on Friday night when the Lord told the people not to work on the Sabbath. It's the only night that the manna would keep overnight and be able to be used the next day. It was a tremendous miracle that was taking place before the eyes of the people. And yet, they grew tired of it. Years down the line, you hear them lamenting these things again. Just as they lament the fact that God has brought them out. God has freed them from their slavery. God has freed them to be able to come and to worship Him. He's got a promised land. He's got a place stored up for them, flowing with milk and honey. A wonderful, lush, green place. And all they have to do is walk to it. A normal thing in their day. And yet they were frustrated by the Lord. They were frustrated because the Lord didn't provide it as easily as they would have liked. 
And later on, the same lamentation again comes. All the Lord gives us is this manna and these quail. God feeds us every single day, but it's not the, we, we, we don't get a lot of variety. We don't get to pick the menu. It's getting boring to us. God provides for us every single day. Wah, wah, wah. We want something different. Strange thing. <laughs> Lamenting the fact that God provides for you in the desert by miraculous means. And yet so hard is their hearts that this is what takes place. They're frustrated at continually at the things that God does. It was work, not only physically, but mentally. To be willing to endure this, to be willing to endure that same food day after day after day, for years, for decades. It was a tremendous work of faith that God was still providing, even if it wasn't the same even if the stomach wasn't filled in the same way, even if one wasn't satisfied by all the other foods that one might have had back in one's slavery, it was a work of faith to believe in the Lord and His goodness, that they were indeed coming to the promised land. It was a work in body and in soul. And the same is true for us. As our Lord was speaking to the people in Capernaum, as we just read, He invites them to work for that food that will lead to eternal life. And we know that that food is the Eucharist. It is the flesh and blood of our Lord. And of this too, we must labor, both in body and in soul. We labor for part in body simply by virtue of having to get here. Sometimes getting here can be a a task in itself. If you may drive uh, a, far, a far distance, or you may walk away sometimes. To be able to get to Mass costs us something. It may cost us sleep. It may cost us time. Indeed, it does always cost us something. Sometimes we may not feel like it. We may have low energy. We may want uh, a bit more sleep. Uh, church may not be exactly the temperature that we would like that day. You know, we, we know that sometimes Father Brent likes to keep it cold in church. And I, I don't have a jacket today. You know, these kinds of these things that can easily keep us away that there's a physical cost to us. Not to mention the fact that if you have kids or grandkids, sometimes bringing them along is a task in itself. I remember my own youth and the many days that... My parents labored just to get me in the car. It is work to come here. It is a physical labor, a physical task to be able to come and to worship our Lord. To come and to be nourished with the bread that endures to eternal life. It costs us something. In addition to this, we recognize the other work that we have to do when we are here. Namely, pay attention. It is easy to allow our minds to drift when we are at Mass. I would presume that many of you have already allowed your mind or experienced a, a sort of walking away of your mind at some point, maybe two or three times during the homily. Father, just, if he would just wrap it up and sit down, we could continue on with this thing. How easy it is for our minds to be able to drift from place to place. We can be concerned about what's happening later today, a family gathering. Simple distractions that may happen here in the church. 
Often reminded of, uh, of the little things that go on around us, whether in the sanctuary or in the pews, they may catch our eye and make us pull away from our blessed Lord and into the things around us. The worries of our heart. So many things can come into the mind in the course of the Mass. It is work to pay attention. It is work to be intentional about lifting up our hearts to the Lord, about truly entering into the mysteries of the Mass. It's not for no reason that the, the liturgy, taken from the Greek word liturgos, means the work of the people. It is a work that we offer here, laboring in the vineyard of the Lord, looking forward to the fruits that he is to provide. In addition to laboring in mind of, of being able to pay attention, we must also labor in the fact of our own belief. Our Lord says that we must believe in him. Believe in the one that the Father has sent. To believe is not a work of the mind so much as it's a work of the soul. It would be easy for us if God worked marvelous things before our eyes every single Mass, visually speaking. It would be a tremendous thing. It would be easy for us to believe. Just like the people, they saw 5,000 people uh, were were fed, and the next day they said, show us a sign, show us something really fascinating. Wouldn't it be fascinating if, if Father Brent came in the sanctuary and he just kind of stood there and there was a burst of light that came from the altar? Poof! Manna from heaven. Wouldn't it be great if it was like, a, like, a, like, like magicians with a cloud of smoke that would come up? That we'd just say a couple of words and, and a miracle would happen right there on the altar. Wouldn't it be great if over the, 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 rather, than, the, rather than hearing me over the speakers of the church, you would hear the voice of God come down and say... This is the bread from heaven. Wouldn't that be amazing? Surely we would be shaken. We would know with absolute certainty that something unusual, something marvelous, something miraculous has happened on the altar. Something incredible has been given to us. The bread from heaven is ours for the taking. Instead, you get a normal man. Although the bishop has laid hands upon him, still is a normal man in so many ways. He's got his quirks. He's got his things that he does that bother you or that delight you in some way. And he's a normal human being in so many ways, except the fact that when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, it changes things. It's a whole different level of belief to be able to believe that than a marvel that we see with our eyes. Takes consent of the soul, a much deeper belief. Myself, even as a priest, I marvel at this fact because I know myself. I know my own humanity. And there have been many, many times in the course of my priestly life that I've elevated the host and in my mind simply said, Really, Lord? This is you? In my own hands, because of my voice. Really, a challenge to the faith to be able to consent to these things that can seem so ordinary. And yet, there are miracles before our very eyes. In addition to this invitation for us to work to believe, lastly, we must work to love. Because even if we come and allow ourselves to be free from distraction, Even if we consent to the fact of the Eucharist, 
that it is the miracle, that it is the bread of life, the flesh and blood of our Lord, it is a whole different thing to love him with all of our heart every single Mass. And this, I think, may be one of the greatest challenges. Because again, things can seem rather mundane and the same over time. Just as the people of Israel, after the years of receiving the same meal, lamented the fact that they didn't get something new and different and fresh and exciting. When we come to Holy Mass, for the most part, you say the same words every week. I say a few different ones as regards the prayers, uh, the opening prayer, the closing prayer, the readings, right? We do the same gestures. Oftentimes we see the same people because we're preachers of habit. And it can seem the same thing week after week after week after week. And when that happens, our heart can get used to it and grow cold, indifferent to our Lord. That if something is new and exciting, it is easy for us to foster up an emotional response or a willingness to, to, to feel the fervor of the Lord. But what the Lord is calling us to is not simply a, a, a feeling, a fervor, but a willingness to do something about our lives. A willingness to change. A willingness to be fed by Him, nourished by Him, transformed by Him, even in ways that we're not really normally expecting, anticipating. Our Lord desires us to work when we come here to Mass. This is not a place where one simply allows uh, the mind to rest, where one simply allows the body to rest. It is labor. It is toil. It is the work of the people. But it is a work that produces incredible fruits. Not because of what we have done, but because of our Lord's faithfulness to us, of His generosity to us, of His mindfulness of us. May Christ knows our needs. He knows the things that we have within our minds. He knows the things we're wrestling with within our hearts. He knows the coldness sometimes of our hearts or the heat that, that emanates forth from them. He knows all of these things. But He wants us to give them to Him. To allow Him to come to our mind and to our heart. To transform us. And He does it with the Eucharist. Every single Mass that we receive our blessed Lord, something in us ought to change. If we are willing, it will. It will change us. It is the food that nourishes us to eternal life. And piece by piece, we're being filled with it. Rather than having full stomachs today, we come here invited by the church to fast before Mass. Appropriately so. Of all the people preferred full stomachs to, an empty, to a, a full heart. And the Lord invites us to have empty stomachs so that our empty hearts can be filled with Him. No mind our flesh. Take care for the food that leads to eternal life for the soul knowing that the body will necessarily follow along. So as we offer this Holy Mass, we rejoice in the gift of this work. We rejoice that God has called us to himself, that he wants to increase our faith, increase our hope, and allow our hearts to burn with love for him.